This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Lovers, welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and cat lover. Today I have with me Dr. Gary Landsberg, who is a veterinary behaviorist. Dr. Landsberg is awesome because of his commitment to pets and people, and he is the one that helps with the really hard behavior cases that regular veterinarians like me have kind of run out of options on, and I would like to talk with Dr. Landsberg today about some funny things. Why does my cat do lots of odd, quirky behaviors? So we'll be right back with Dr. Landsberg after we hear a word from our sponsors. Hi friends, this is Dr. Marty Becker, America's Veterinarian. After a traumatic experience at the veterinary office, have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be a better way? When your veterinarian is fear-free certified, you'll find your pet's vet visit is safer, more comfortable, and actually enjoyable. Your dog will go from shaking in the lobby to pulling you into the exam room with a wagon tail, and your cat will be purring inside the carrier. To find a certified fear-free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. Today I have Dr. Gary Landsberg, the veterinary behaviorist. And he and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about quirky cat behaviors. Why does my cat do whatever it is? Welcome, Dr. Landsberg. Thanks. Glad to join you. So I write for a cat lover website, I Heart Cats, and I have to answer lots of questions and I get a lot of behavior questions and I want you to kind of weigh in on some of these things. Why does my cat knock things off of the table or the counter? Well, you know, before I give you uh, fun, quirky, snappy little answers, there is a relatively simple and not so facetious answer, which is that they're cats and they do what they're genetically programmed to do. They do a lot of their behaviors because of their early upbringing and the home that they live in. They do some of their behaviors because of what they learn from consequences of their acts. And they do behaviors because of their medical health and health that they have. So basically, back to the first sentence I said, because they're cats and they're part of normal cat behavior. And taking that into account, everything we just said or everything I just said, that means that cats are going to be exploratory. They're going to be active. They're going to hunt. They're going to climb. They're going to perch in their natural environments, their natural behaviors. They would 
guests normally be outdoors, and indoors they have to find other alternatives for that. So the cat will jump and climb and do all the behaviors that you would expect it to do. They like to be on high surfaces, and when they find something that moves, they're going to bat it around. Well, after that happens, they learn that perhaps that's fun, something they can chase, something they can move, and they learn from experience. Sometimes owners give that attention, which uh, if it's negative is not a good thing because it makes the cat anxious. But if the owners are gentle and kind in their attention, it also means they might be reinforcing the behavior. Bottom line is let them do it because they're cats. Just make sure what you leave out for them are things they're supposed to knock around, not things that are uh, things you want to keep safe. So making sure that they have appropriate items to knock off the counter. And I agree with you. I think my cat likes to watch my reaction because he sort of looks at me before he knocks the item off just to see if I'm watching. Just kind of like a a human child, he does that. And we kind of both laugh and we're both entertained. He doesn't laugh out loud, but he's entertained, I think. By the way, one thing that I'd point out there is The question is never, how do I stop that behavior? That's sort of what you're implying there. It's how do we give them proper ways to do that behavior? And I remember when we had kids, my kids are much, much older now, but when we had kids and we were trying to stop them from getting into the kitchen cabinets, where you go, well, maybe if they like to explore the kitchen cabinets rather than putting child locks on everything and frustrating them and maybe getting into more mischief somewhere else or fun somewhere else, maybe you take that bottom cupboard And you put all kinds of little plastic bottles and toys and things they can find in there. So I'm glad you put it that way. It's important to give them outlets for their behavior. That's what they want to do, not just what you want them to do. Yeah, I think that trying to force a cat to comply to the way we want a cat to be is never going to work out as well. I think the joke is it's like herding cats. And I think that's very true. Exactly. So why does my cat rub his head on me in greeting? Well, after not repeating what I said the first time, because it's cat and they do normal behaviors, but they're in an environment that is with us, that type of behavior is a greeting behavior, a bunting behavior, a social behavior when the person or other animal that they're greeting, normally I guess it would be with other cats, is somebody that they want to interact with, that they're friendly with. And in their face, in their cheek areas, are glands that produce pheromones. One of the pheromones is a a calming pheromone. In fact, in in some countries, they have this pheromone available called feel a friend. And in the United States, I think it's called feel away friends is the... um, is that the name you have there? It's called Philoe Multicat might be the other name. That's so it, yeah. You're listening from. And that's the pheromone that they give off socially that helps them feel familiar and calm with the object, that the, the person that they're interacting with or the animal they're interacting with. And that's why those social pheromones are available in a plug-in or a spray that have been synthetically reproduced and become available if you have maybe cats that aren't so social or aren't getting along in a new environment or aren't getting along with individuals, they even make that commercially. So it's the calming pheromone from greeting, the F3 fraction, it's called, of the feline pheromone, and they're just greeting you, being happy to see you. So it kind of instinctively makes me feel good when I 
have my cat do that. And when my patients bunt me in the exam room, I know I'm doing something right. But what you're saying is we can kind of take advantage of this pheromone to make things seem happy and calm that maybe aren't or make pets get along that maybe aren't. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, after we said all the nice things your cat's doing to you, you also have to remember your cat is marking you <laughs> as uh, part of its friendly little uh, environment there. So, so yes, the cat's being friendly, but the cat is putting its uh, mark on you, so to speak, as well. Well, I've already accepted the fact that I am owned by my cat, and we joke around that we're very lucky that the cat lets us live here. So I accept the ownership of my cat <laughs> For me. So, okay. So other quirky behaviors that people have asked me about on the website, one of them was, why does my cat put his butt in the air or in my face? Well, I think it's probably just a continuation of what we were just saying. Not only do the cats uh, rub their cheeks up against things, there's a pheromone they give off when they um, rub up against things, uh, people socially familiar. There's a pheromone they give off when they rub up against things with their cheeks or their bodies in the environment. And certainly there's a lot of cat scent, their own familiar scent in and around the anal areas. If a cat's fairly friendly, it will often rub up against you, bunt you, and even present their tail to you. I don't think they want you to sniff them or anything, but they're lifting their tail, which actually can be a friendly sign as well, and presenting their rear to you. So you have to be a pretty good friend for your cat to, uh, to likely do that type of behavior with you. And if you didn't know to be appreciative of that behavior, you might not realize that it was just a sign of friendship. Yeah, primarily a sign of friendship, but it is, you know, it's all part of the cat's social repertoire, which were developed to communicate with predator prey, but also with other cats primarily. So obviously there's probably somewhat of a sexual component when a cat lifts its tail in that sort of behavior. There's an investigative type where they're giving their scent to another animal that they're comfortable with or, or showing their scent to it, even as a prelude to marking in some cases. So it's all part of normal communication, but let's call it a, I'm friendly with you and I want you to, uh, to know that. So he's at least familiar with me and he feels safe enough with me to make himself vulnerable in that way. So I think that it's it's probably a good thing. We joke about cat butt, but it's probably a good thing. So another really interesting behavior that people have asked me about is why does my cat open his mouth and kind of chirp when he sees a bird or something through the window? Again, probably a fairly normal response. It's probably a response to arousal. Some mouth opening, but you said chirping, is um, known as a flamen response, which helps them to take in odors through the vomeronasal organ, and it's also related to a lot of those pheromones. But I think the chirping-type behavior that you're seeing, the response that you're seeing, is an arousal, slightly excited behavior. And they're done in gestures when you know, a cat's through a window, it can't get at that stimulus. So you get some slightly displaced behaviors as well. But once again, uh, you have to, well, it's not once again, let's, let's put this in perspective. Whenever you see a cat's behavior or body posture or language or vocalizations, you have to put it together with what the cat is doing and looking like at the time. So that a raised tail that's lashing back and forth in a situation with a tense body postures and maybe eyes dilated or ears back 
are all signs that the cat is aroused and nervous, fearful, maybe somewhat defensive, whereas a raised tail and a relaxed posture and approaching you and purring type behaviors or even sometimes a chirping type behavior would together mean the cat is in a good mood or interested in that situation. So put everything together, and in that situation you said with the birds, I think we have a slightly aroused cat, a cat who'd like to get out there, a cat who'd like to be with it. And unfortunately, if it does get with it, the next step could be the predatory part of it from the bird's perspective, from the cat's perspective. That's life. (laughs) Do you think that there are things that we can do in our home to help cats kind of fulfill their need to be predatory, their hunting and stalking type instincts? I think it's critical. And along with what you just said a moment ago, I find it difficult to give generalities sometimes because there are cats who sit on the windowsill, look outside and enjoy their day, at least from what we can see, by all the various stimulations that are out there, the sights, the sounds, the things that are going on. And that can be quite enriching for some cats. And I'll get to the specifics about hunting in a moment. And in other cats, That can cause high, high levels of arousal, frustration, because they can't get to the prey, they can't get to the stimulus, they see something that's scary out there, and those cats can be highly detrimental to those cats to sit on windowsills and look outside. So again, you have to look at the whole situation, and therefore, perhaps rather than sitting on the window and looking out for some cats, much, much better is to give them things that are outlets for their normal behavior. And of course, what a cat normally does in a quick nutshell, because we could give a whole lecture on this, as you probably know, is that they hunt. And when they hunt, they hunt probably, oh, if they had to survive outside, maybe six, eight, ten small mice a day. They probably can't even catch every one of them. So that's 30 or 40 stalking, chasing, pouncing events during the day and lots of small meals. And if you translate everything I just said, Shouldn't we be giving our cats indoors many small objects to chase and play throughout the day, whether it's things they bat or battery-operated or little toys on strings or on wands? Shouldn't we be giving them multiple small meals a day at various times, maybe even after a chase session? You know, play, play, play with a few different toys, and when they start to get tired of it, give them a little, or get very aroused, you can give them a little food-filled toy so that they can have a small meal out of a toy that they can bat around and eat. So I think there's a, a bunch of answers there, but lots of things to chase throughout the day, multiple chase sessions in a row, because sometimes they tire of something very quickly. If they go after a mouse and don't catch it, they'll stop after maybe 30 seconds and go after the next one. So lots of games with chase toys, few in a row, A little small meal throughout the day and feeding toys can be very helpful. So you think that if we mimic the natural environment and raise our own human awareness of what the natural environment would be for cats, that we can head off some behavior issues for our cats? I think we can head off most behavior issues for our cats. Or if we extrapolate that to research facilities or zoo animals or any other place you have animals that are housed in their non-natural environment, you have to provide for their environmental needs. You know, we used to call it environmental enrichment, and that's part of it, but it's really all of their environmental needs. What would that animal need in its normal day, in its normal environment? So we talked about the chase, the play, the catching small toys, 
the eating small meals, but also, of course, the perching, the areas to perch, places to climb, places they're allowed to scratch, comfort and sleep areas. These are all part of a cat's normal day. And in, if they're going to do it in a wild environment, they're going to be frustrated not being able to do it in a home environment. So you're exactly right. Provide for these things and you'll have a lot less behavioral problems and a much happier cat. So one of the articles that I had or one of the questions that I had that got a lot of interest was, why does my cat bite me when I am petting him? Well, there's probably a lot of different reasons, and that's where you start to get into, as you said at the start, sometimes having to refer the more difficult of these cases to a veterinary behaviorist. Because if the cat is doing what comes naturally to it, and it's very unacceptable or even dangerous, as in causing injury, we have to learn to deal with that. And a few reasons for that are probably, to some degree, play, the type of nipping and biting that would happen. But when they do it with another cat, grooming, maybe play biting or play fighting, they have a lot of fur and hair in there, and they know how to communicate naturally with each other. The second one is that when a cat is being near you, it doesn't necessarily mean it wants to be petted by you. So, and in fact, that's a very, very important one. That cat who's rubbing up against you doesn't necessarily want you to take your hand out and rub it. And even if it does, it might only be for a few seconds. So that bite probably means sometimes play, more likely that the cat has had enough or you're gone a little bit too far. Now, of course, if you react aggressively or <laughs> if it hurts and you scream or yell, this is also going to be, well, now the cat wants to approach you, and maybe the cat wants to rub against you, but it too starts to get very frightened when you put your hand on it. Therefore, it becomes a learning experience as well. So I think it's a matter of just because the cat wants to be with you doesn't mean it wants to be patted, and if it's biting, probably means you've gone on a little bit too long. So the important thing is really just staying safe and reading the cues that your cat is giving you. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, stay safe, know your cat, know its limits, and read its cues. So the way to treat that, which you know I'll give you in a nutshell, is that when the cat comes to you, you can reward it with little treats. You can pet it very, very quickly, slowly and uh, in the right places that don't trigger it, usually around the face, the cheek type areas, maybe the side of the body, and if the cat or the part of the body the cat is presenting, and you stop before the cat becomes bitey or anxious. Give it a treat and you are doing two things, rewarding it for the petting so that maybe it wants more. And number two, you're stopping while it still wants more. So maybe it'll come back and get another short one and another short one. So keep them short, know the cat's limit, read your cat. And if you want to make it a little longer, associate some treats with your petting. So we have Always, all of us veterinary professionals have had people ask questions about litter box habits. And there are all kinds of different styles of litter boxes and litter. But cats, why does my cat urinate outside of his box? Well, that's a lecture in itself. That's a seminar I in know. itself. <laughs> yeah. And there's just a multitude of reasons. The simple answer with any soiling problem is to divide it into, and I'm really simplifying here, one of two categories. Is the cat backing up toward objects and flagging its tail and spraying little bits of urine coming out horizontally onto vertical surfaces? 
that's urine marking. That's a cat who's aroused, or if it's a male, it needs to be neutered because that marking is a normal behavior, but a very unacceptable behavior for people. And often there's a stressor involved. There can be male hormones involved, and we might need medication to reduce that, uh, also avoiding triggers. But when you talk about maybe what you were describing in the first place, which is a cat just not using its litter all the time or regularly, what that means is that the cat has a spot that it prefers or something about its litter that it doesn't particularly like. And you have to think about making the biggest, best litter box you can or multiple litter boxes, cleaning it regularly, having the right type of surface that the cat wants to use, substrate in the litter, clumping litter, or maybe some cats prefer a clay type of litter. And you want a box that's the right size and shape. Bigger is usually better. So a simple answer for a better box is where the cat wants it, or at least an area that's a good compromise. Number two, a bigger box. Number three, a better substrate for the cat. Number four, cleaned regularly. At the other extreme, some cats just prefer other surfaces to their box, and you're going to have to consider readjusting the box to the surface they like, the location they like, and sometimes thinking about blocking off the area that the cat is actually soiling in. The only type of punishment I ever use in cats is maybe making something a little bit more unpleasant, so maybe two-sided sticky tape in an area could keep the cat away from an area. So in quick summary... Make the litter box bigger and better, make it a better location, make it have the substrate the cat wants, and number two, try and reduce the use of the area that the cat is using. And I feel like I need to say to all the cat lovers out there, if your cat is using a different place than the litter box in order to eliminate, make sure you include your veterinarian first so that you can rule out medical causes of that behavior, as well as following the tips that Dr. Landsberg has suggested. Yes, what you said comes first. There are cats who stop using the box because it hurt or was uncomfortable or they have a disease that makes them go more frequently, like kidney disease, and those are all reasons that they might stop using the box. So first figure out if there's a medical reason for it, but even if you get the medical under control, that problem may persist. So medical first, behavioral as well. So, okay, I've got one more question for you, at least, unless I can come up with some others. How about sleeping in a laundry basket or some kind of little cave or safe place like that? Why do cats feel like they want to choose those places? Well, that goes back to that environmental needs comment that I made earlier, that cats like to seek out places for comfort and security. Often it's going to be soft surfaces and maybe the surface, it's it's almost the same, assuming it's not a medical problem, sometimes it's the same answer as the urinating problem. They prefer that spot to the spot that you've given them so that it might have just the right shape, it might have just the right size, it might be elevated, it might have the soft surface, and it might have clean things in there. One of the things we do, back to my your urine one, one of the things we do when a cat soils our house is we clean it really, really thoroughly so that the cat hopefully won't go back there. But now the cat has a nice clean spot. If we cleaned our litter boxes that frequently, maybe the cat would use the litter box more. So it's just the appeal of what that area that the cat is sleeping in and think about it. Why not give the cat its own laundry basket with its own similar bedding in its own area 
Don't stop the use of the spot. Find a better location or a compromise location, a compromise spot that the cat can use. So just comfort seeking. And, uh, you know, what, what came to mind when you said that is how much difficulty people sometimes have in training their cats to a carrier or training their cats to somewhere to transport it. And yet, if you just open a box or open a container or have a laundry basket, as you said, or have a soft surface in just the right place in just the right area, most cats will explore that on their own. So if you give them the chance to use a spot, they often will. If you force them to use it, then you've got real problems in getting them back there. Cats don't do the whole forcing thing. So we have to work with cats. Like I said, my cat owns me as much as I own him. And I I sort of follow his rules a little bit too. And I think that's really good advice. I would love it if every client that I had had a cat carrier training regimen for their cat to teach them that the cat carrier was a safe and wonderful place before they come to see me. Yeah, it's never good for your cat or even your dog, well, not even your dog, or your dog to tolerate something or not mind something. We want them to choose to do it. We want them to offer to do it. We want them to want to do it, want to be petted, want to use its travel carrier, want to use its sleeping area, want to use its litter box. And to do that, you have to offer something that's appealing and something they want and consider rewarding them when they do use it. Well, that is such good advice to get along together and kind of modify ourselves for our relationships together. And so I want to encourage all of my listeners to reach out to me and comment or ask more questions that maybe we could pass on to Dr. Landsberg in the future. And of course, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. And all of the links to my social media is present on my website, which is drprim.com. Dr. Landsberg, thank you so much for your time with us today. You're very welcome. I definitely enjoyed learning from you today, and I hope that you will join us again in the future. I would like to also thank our producer, Mark Winter, and thank you all for joining us for Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. And I hope that you all have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.